subscribe and rate it. Five stars. Good afternoon, Cliff. Good afternoon, Bobo. How are you doing, my friend? No complaints here. How's it going up there? Yeah, I could complain if I tried, but it's it's doing okay. We're going okay. The museum's coming along for winter. Um, the, the weekends see us through for the most part, I guess. Got an interesting sighting report today from this past summer. Um, a woman was driving on Highway 14 west of uh, Stevenson. Saw one of these things standing at the edge of one of those big uh, water, you know, I guess it's kind of an inlet to a river or something over on the right-hand side. I'm not sure if it's an extension of the Columbia or where another river's flowing into it. Like a backwater kind of... Yeah, yeah, backwater. Right, exactly. It's, it's, it's the backwash of the Columbia. You know, if you if you let the Columbia River drink out of your soda, that's what it would be. It would be the backwash right there. Um, yeah, so she saw it standing over there by the wood line, I guess, but there's no place to pull over. So it was just a, a fleeting glimpse from a car. But nonetheless, I got a bunch of uh, sound reports out of that same area this past summer. So maybe it was the same animal in the same general area. So, um, but that's kind of it for the most part, you know, Bigfoot wise. Um, I was out in the field the other day, went to go change out the long duration recorders and some game cameras I have on a long-term witness, uh, property out there. Um, nothing on the cameras. We're still going through the recordings. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's about it. Really. All my high elevation spots are closed down for the winter because snow came early to the Portland area. So we're kind of looking at hitting the low elevation locations. Um, and might get back to Malala this, this winter as well. Malala is a spot that I used to go to every winter, but it just haven't been out there the last couple of years because of the fires, but it's back open again. So we'll see what happens, man. Yeah, the, uh, one of the guys I've been working with on the docks, this guy Larry, he's classic. He's an old-time miner from up in Happy Camp, like gold, like the guy's epic. But um, Sam Kitchen, the guy I've been working with, he wanted he wanted to go check out this spot, and he'd have some knocks up there up in uh, Trinity, I guess it's on the east side of Trinity Alps. And he, had, he told Larry, like, hey, you should go check it out. And as Larry was driving in, he saw, he saw a red one. Of, of ahead of them they had all kinds of action around them and no one goes up there because it's this really remote spot um you gotta it's way remote then you gotta walk in a ways to this little lake and he'd heard about this he'd heard about the from this guy he goes i got so scared i, I just left all my gear and i ran out of there you know I was, and he was telling about how he he'd thrown some stuff into the fire pit like some plastic stuff and like polyester and he went back, and when Larry went up there, that guy's old camp was like the shreds of the, like the tent poles were still there, like all, you know, old and sun bleached, and the tent, there was still some tent fabric, and the stuff he'd thrown in the fire pit was still there. No one had camped there in like 10 years. Wow. Huh. Yeah. So, but he saw, them, and they were knocking all around there and getting whoops, and and then we were going to go up there, and sure enough, it dumps tons of snow right right before we could get a chance to get up there. Yeah, that kind of reminds me. I um, remember our guest Lance that we had on the um, uh, on the podcast a few months ago. Yeah, and he saw one nice and close on the on some land that he wasn't really supposed to be on. So, um, yeah, but it was back in the seventies, you know. So, and, and that area is still a little gray area, but no one really goes back in there. And I think they moved the the, the boundaries back a little bit. So um, he was talking about I really have to go out there and, and walk that same path and see what the area is like. And not be afraid, you know, but God, nobody will go out there with me. And I said, dude, I'd go out there with you. 
I'll totally go out there with you. Yeah, so I was talking to him the other day, and uh, we might go out there and, and see if his cooler and his fishing rods are still on the ground there where he dropped them and never went back for them because, you know, not a lot of people go to that area in general. So it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. So Right. Yeah, it'd be kind of fun to get back in there anyway because there's supposedly a haunted campsite in the area. It's like, gee, I wonder what haunts that campsite. <clears throat> kind, of a, kind of a no-brainer on that one. Yeah, I've been communicating with a listener that wrote in from Europe – been talking to him, he says he saw one and he's been sending me like, you know, Google Earth and video clips that he took at the scene afterwards. And so that's pretty cool. Hopefully we could uh, get something straightened out on that and then have him come on and tell us what he saw over there. Because it's about, it's in Germany, about three hours from where little daddy saw his. Oh, so the sighting was in Europe as well. The guy's not just from Europe. The sighting was also. Yeah, yeah, it was European sighting. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we need we need a lot of more of those to make a to turn heads about that sort of stuff, man. Because Europe is an unexpected place for these. But um, you know, if enough people are seeing them, that's what's the difference between there and here, you know? Right. Well, you know, speaking of communicating with listeners, um, today is uh, one of our favorite times of the month, I guess, so to speak. Is uh, it's the Q and A stuff, man? Uh, this is my this is my favorite podcast to do um, the entire month. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love having guests and I love doing what we do here, but Q and A's are just fun for some reason, you know, uh, communicating directly with our listeners. And that is today. But before we get into the question and answer part of today's podcast, uh, there's, there's something we want to know from our listeners and, um, about how to improve our podcast in some ways. Some of it's about advertising. Some of it is about, um, what other podcasts you might be interested in and that sort of thing. So there is a survey that is in the show notes of this podcast on all the podcasts platforms, you know, Spotify and Apple podcasts and all that other stuff. And if you don't know how to do that, because I don't, I don't know how to do that. You can also go to our website, um, bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com. And there is a link on the front page there to a small survey. If you can spend a few minutes and fill that out for us, um, we would really appreciate it. That's a great way to support us. And, you know, it's totally free and everything, but you're doing us a favor. We do really, really appreciate that. If you can go do that for us. Uh, also, if you play the episodes right there on your, uh, on your player, on the browser there, you can hit see more when it has like the details of the show. And there's a link right there too. see more, see more butts. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. So if you want to see more butts, you can fill out that, uh, podcast, um, uh, thing for us and that would help us and, um, hopefully improve your podcasting experience a little bit too. So, yeah. All right. Now on to more important things or equally important things or less really important things. Uh, Q and A's. And um, one of the fun things about the Q and A's for me is, of course, listening to your melodic voices, because as you know, these questions are submitted by you, the listener, and some of them are written and some of them are actually recorded on voicemail. And if you have a question for us that you would like us to answer on air, you can go to bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com hit the contact button and that page, you can either type something up or actually record a voicemail for us. And maybe you can hear your voice um, on the air and we can heckle you somehow. But speaking of which, let's jump in and let's do our first question on voicemail. Here we go. Hey, Bigfoot and Beyond. This is Casey from Long Beach, California. I had a quick question for you. In nature, some animals, humans, chimpanzees, squirrels, we collect things. We build caches in nature to use other places. I want to know if there were any uh, reports of any possible caches that were uh, supposed to be Bigfoots. What was in there, how it was reported, and what was reported. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate the podcast. Thank you for all you do. All right. Bye-bye. 
God, we've talked about that a lot. I mean, it seems like they'd have to, especially in those really snowy regions up like in the northern Ontario or Northwest Territories. Or, I mean, they, you'd think they'd have to have some kind of larder, you know, some kind of food cache somewhere. But, you know, you don't really hear people talking about finding them. No, no. You hear about bone piles and stuff, but that seems more like scraps um, to me, at least. That's the way it comes across to, to my understanding. Is it sounds like scraps left over from feasting, or maybe they bring all the bodies to one spot or something. But as far as caches go, I've never heard anything like that, which really goes a long ways towards um, explaining how Sasquatches are not human beings. Um, because one of the defining characteristics of humans is that we have stuff. You know, it's like the George Carlin, you know, routine. Like we have stuff, and my crap is stuff, and your stuff is crap. You know that kind of stuff, um, essentially. And, and and it's a hallmark of humans. Like we we need things to live, and so we keep things around and we carry them with us. But Sasquatches don't do that. They don't need anything to live except for what they have. And it seems, at least so far, it seems that they are devoid of caches. They don't seem to need that sort of um, thought process. Um, or, or or stashing or anything like that. They just they don't need it. So I, I've never heard of anything that might have been in a Bigfoot cache in that sort of in, in a true cache sort of way. Like I'm setting this aside for later sort of stuff. They just don't seem to do that. I think we'd know about it. The, the natives would have known about it. They would have found them. You know, over the yeah. It's just it it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Or if it is happening, it's, it's unrecognizable to us. Well, I mean, it's not happening. Reports. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not happening in the reports. And maybe people do run across caches of various sorts. Well, you, you know, like here's, here's something that just popped in my head. At the Olympic Project nest site, one of the first nests that was ever discovered, if not the first nest that was discovered, um, four or five feet away from the nest at the base of the tree were two rocks that were clearly hit together at, for some purpose. Rock clacking is what we're thinking. Because uh, you can see the score marks on both of the rocks. But they were sitting there, you know, four or five feet from this nest. Does that qualify for a cache? I don't know. It, uh, technically, maybe it does. Maybe it does. But it's n- certainly not a fancy one. No. Or is that just where the rocks were put down? And it, like, wh- where's, the, where's the line there? Because you got to draw a line somewhere. Um, maybe that was a cache. Maybe, that, maybe that's just where the rocks were put down. Maybe that's the rocks are there and they, they used them repeatedly. Don't know. Don't know. And the score marks, they don't really indicate that it's been beat together hundreds of times or anything. But um, they were found near a nest. So were they put there purposefully to come back to later? We just don't know. But anyway, that that's the that's so Casey, Long Beach, huh? I know Long Beach. Go to Alex's bar. It's a fun fun venue to see see gigs. Yeah. Yeah, and Alex is a cool dude too. If you see Alex, say, "Hey, that Bigfoot nerd Cliff says hi," and he'll know exactly what you're talking about. And tell him that Bigfoot cool guy Bob said hi too. Oh, there you go, there you go. Yeah, yeah, I forgot you knew Alex. He's a friend of the Squatch. Of course he is. Yeah, gave him a Patterson cast back in the day. I think he still has it. All right, well, let's go to the next question. Hey, Cliff and Bobo. Love the podcast, guys. Bigfoot and Beyond is one of my favorites. I'm always listening to it from Abilene to San Antonio or San Antonio to Dallas. Oh, by the way, this is Clay from Abilene. I have a comment and then I have a question. Actually, I guess they're both kind of questions. Do you know of a game camera that operates using starlight? Since obviously no one really knows, but since it's presumed that these animals operate like other members of the wildlife uh, or the fauna that can see IR light, is there any cameras that you think uh, are available to the consumer that use starlight? 
Another, the question I have is, I love to read books about Sasquatch. Uh, I just picked up Michael May's Valley of the Apes book recently, and I'm in that. Are there any other books outside of Krantz or Green that you think are must-reads by anyone interested in this subject? And are there any books that you're like, don't even waste your time, that's really out there? Um, from a perspective of someone like me who believes this animal is just that, an animal uh, or a, uh, a hominoid that has not been yet discovered. So I'd love to hear your uh, answers on what books I should keep in my Sasquatch library, my Sasquatchatorium. I don't know what you call it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Sasquatchatorium. Nice. Yeah, and you know, this question comes up quite often, actually. And one of the things Bobo and I have been speaking of, and I think we're going to start doing this soon, is kind of a, you know, a Cliff and Bobo book club, you know, like ripping off a Sesame Street and call it Monsterpiece Theater or something. But yeah, where we basically uh, kind of dig into some of, the, of our favorite books and start talking about them. Um, we're, we're hoping to do that hopefully in the next couple of weeks. So in December, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if we actually get our act together enough to produce an episode where we do just that where we start going over some of these books, um, probably one book per session and just do a deep dive on each one. Like Bob's would pick a book, then I would pick a book and then that would be an episode, you know, because that, that's a, a low hanging fruit. It's easy to do. We're both pretty well-read Bigfooters. Um, and, uh, and I think it would be helpful because we get questions like yours quite often. What books should we read? You did mention Krantz and Green. And of course you need Meldrum's book. Dr. Meldrum's book is a must, must read. Um, and uh, in fact, I'll, and I also think that Dr. Bindernagel's book is a must read um, because that, that his first book, Sasquatch, uh, um, North America's Great Ape, really parallels behaviors between Sasquatches and, another, and the, the other apes and uses examples out of John Green's data set and stuff for behaviors. Yeah. So uh, anyway, that, that's where I would go first. But um, you keep tuning in and listening and you'll probably hear some uh, good recommendations for books. Uh, that, but the second half of your second question, and we'll get to your first question in a minute, is what books would I would you avoid? Well, we don't we try to make it a policy not to slam people or talk crap about people and on the air. On the air, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why we have an editor, by the way. Um, largely why Matt why Matt Pruitt's um, our editor here is because he goes, Oh gosh, Cliff, you shouldn't say that. Let's pull that out. Um, but for the most part, um, we're so we're not gonna talk about books that suck, but it, but suffice it to say that many, many, many of them are not worth the paper they're written on. Um, so many people have books out nowadays, but, uh, it sounds like you're on the right track. You got Valley of the Apes. That's a great book. you you mentioned Krantz and Green. That's a great trajectory there. Dr. Meldrum's is a must. Bindernoggles is a must. Um, and there's a lot of other good ones as well. Um, and then you get into other things like the value of the historical reading, which we haven't really talked too much about, you know, we're, we're mostly reading for information, but some of that stuff like the Hinden's book is interesting for the historical aspect of it. It's much less about the animals and, and more about some of the early cases that he investigated. So, um, but again, I, I think that with Cliff and Bobo's book club, we'll probably start getting into some of that stuff when we get that um, feature off the ground. Um, but what was your first question? Oh, the first question was, are there game cameras that work on starlight technology? Not to my knowledge, but man, I wish there was. That would be fantastic. Do you know anything about that, Bobo? No, uh, that's a good question. I should hit up Doug Highcheck because he knows all that. But yeah, there's definitely there's definitely some game cameras that are better than others in low light situations. I know that. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know about starlight. There's, I don't think there's truly not a true star scope like lens or anything like that. That I maybe the military might have that, but I've never seen one com like for the conventional market 
Yeah, that that, that would be fantastic though, because um, um, but then again, I don't, I don't. Would it be any better? Maybe it would. Well, it'd probably increase the uh, the electrical draw of the batteries quite a bit. So I guess the batteries wouldn't last that long because the way they are now, um, something moves in front of the passive IR filter or the the t- detector. You know, there's no light coming out of it or anything, so it's completely invisible until the flash goes off. Um, and then the flash, of course, is very very visible. Um, and maybe that's enough to teach a Sasquatch not to go near that thing. Because yeah, it wouldn't even have to be them to set it off. I mean, it could be a leaf or a bird or a rabbit or a deer goes in front of it and triggers it. And they see the flash and they know to be careful. Like it doesn't have to be them to set it off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like what in the world is that? You know, I don't want that to happen again because light, no matter what flavor, is probably pretty unpleasant for a Sasquatch. And I do think they'd see in the IR. I think that if you're using IR lights, you're you might as well just use white lights. Is what I'm thinking. But that's just my feeling. I know, like, say, Moneymaker, he disagrees with me on that. But um, we don't really know yet. But might as well play it safe. Yeah, I don't know. Starlight, Starlight game cameras. That's an interesting idea. Be expensive. Yeah, I could only imagine they would be very expensive. You know, because the PVS 14s. I don't know how much they cost nowadays, but they're probably a few thousand bucks still. Well, all right, Clay. Thanks so much for that question. Uh, that two-parter gave us something to talk about for a little while. Appreciate it. And again, keep listening for that book thing, man. I think the Cliff and Bobo Book Club is going to be starting up in the next few weeks here. So thanks so much for that. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Let's take the next question, please. Hey guys, my name's Casey. I live in a small town in Ohio, uh, New Holland, it's in Pickaway County. And I was wondering if you could straighten out um, a debate between my boyfriend and I. I think that camera traps are a good thing, but it's not really proof if one isn't shown that Bigfoot does not exist. He seems to think that there are thousands and thousands of camera traps and if Bigfoot existed, that he should be captured on more of the cameras than what he has been. My, my viewpoint is that is actually more vast than what people think it is. And I remember Cliff, you talking about a doctor, I believe uh, saying that, you know, maybe they don't go where you put the camera traps. They walk off the beaten path. That, that was the gist of it anyway. But I was wondering what can I tell him to help him explain how I feel from an expert's point of view about camera traps and things. Thanks. Love the podcast. Sorry about the rambling. A little on the nervous side. You know how it is. Casey, first off, dump that ignorant hick. Yeah, as far as what you should tell him, you should tell him he's lucky to be with you. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously not too bright, doesn't know about the squash. I mean, he's making some valid points. I got to give him a little bit of credit there. He's making a few valid, you know, what he's saying is not untrue, but there are photos um, that aren't released. I've seen a few. Uh, They wouldn't, they're not as good as PG. But I, I think for the most part, it's like we talked for the last answer. I think it's the infrared flashes, that, and it's just the infrared aspects of it. I think it's the what goes against them. And remember, uh, coyotes not only can recognize game cameras, it's been shown um, that they actively avoid them. And that's a dog, man. Coyotes are basically dogs. And how much smarter would a Sasquatch be than a coyote? And if coyotes are doing that, it seems reasonable, at least, that a, a Sasquatch would also take some steps to avoid such a circumstance. But having said that, I've also seen a handful of very good photographs of Sasquatches taken on game cameras, and not one of them has been on these high-end game cameras. 
Um, they've all been on the cheapies for the most part, which tell which which uh, does it suggests something to me. It suggests that it is a numbers game, and I think that goes both ways. I think, and what I mean by that is this: um, the more cameras out, the better. Obviously, the higher chance of getting a Sasquatch on 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 film, but. Uh, but the numbers work against us as well because Sasquatches are extraordinarily rare animals. There aren't very many of them. And game cameras, even in the best circumstances, only cover a small, small section of the forest. In fact, I think, if I remember right, a few years ago, Dr. Russ Jones, friend of the show, he's been on a few times, did a whole presentation on game cameras, I think, or at least a significant portion of a presentation at a conference on game cameras and showed that a remarkably small part of the forest is actually covered. Um, and, and we just don't know that much about the animals too, you know, like a lot of people, well, this goes to another point. So many people deploy game cameras as if they were going after deer, but they're not, they're going after Sasquatches, but then, so the deer techniques simply aren't going to work. Putting it on a very visible game trail, strapping it to a tree and leaving it. That's, 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 I don't think that's, that's, that's going to work very well. It works occasionally, but it doesn't work very well. Well, that's been my problem with the Bluff Creek project. Those guys put out all these cameras, and they don't hide them. And they put them on main trails. They put them—I mean, they put them on some good spots like wallows and stuff like that, creek crossings. But squatches don't walk the main trails. They walk parallel to them, or just they—they—they're when you when you follow their their uh, their you know like a track line or something. It's amazing how they just will set like they're going. Point A to point B, they just go direct line, whether it's cliffs or whatever. I mean, just where no human would go, they'll go. They'll just, you know, go that 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 direction. That's where they want to go. They're not they're not deterred like humans are. So you need so many of them. When we had Forrest Gallant on, uh, he was talking about the big uh, uh, thylacine project they're doing in northern Australia. They're putting out twenty five hundred game cameras, and it's where Yowies are. The Australian Bigfoots they have them there too. So I'm I'm really hopeful for that because they're putting theirs out in a mathematical grid where everything's overlapping. So these 2,500 cameras are covering like, you know, a few miles. And there's no way to pass through there without getting filmed from one way or another. So we'll see what that turns up. Yeah, and I think this. I think the deployment strategy has a lot to do with it because as I was saying about the deer thing, we're, these aren't deer, and it, the the strategy, the mindset needs to be we we are trying to capture a photograph of you in your own living room without you knowing. And people just don't go to those lengths. And, and, and clearly it's a strategy sort of thing. I was talking about, the, talking about this subject to uh, Dr. Anna Nakaris um, a few years ago, um, Oxford primatologist, fabulous scientist, great person, um, super smart, has a lot of experience with nocturnal primates in Sumatra. She's, she studies the slow loris. And um, she was saying, you know, the the camera trap thing should work. Um, I think she thought it might be a deployment thing. I said, here's some other ideas. And I, I remember one of the ideas, she says, um, instead of putting it where you think you should, throw a rock. And wherever it lands, put one there. And just because whatever you guys have been doing as a Bigfoot community has not been working very well, try some other stuff. Get out of your groove. Get out of your mindset. You know, expand your mind a little bit. Um, free your mind and your ass will follow, as Mr. Clinton said. 
Um, that's George Clinton, by the way, for everybody. <laughs> I think I think Bill said it too. The Bill Bill probably also said that. Yeah. Now that you're thinking about it, yeah. Now that Bobo's thinking about it, I think that's totally true. But nonetheless, nonetheless, I think we need to get out of our uh, mindset a little bit and, um, and try some new stuff because maybe they don't follow game trails. You know, uh, Joe Bielart uh, put forth many, many years ago that he thinks they follow game trails 10 or 20, 30 feet above the game trail itself. So they're actually not on the game trail. They're keeping an eye on the game trail. Maybe that's how they move. We just don't really know yet. Yeah, they're not They're not people. They're not, they're not lazy like we are. Like they don't, I mean, animals, all animals try to conserve as much energy as possible, but these guys are more concerned with staying hidden than expending energy i think for the most part well and also um like for us walking where they would walk would be next to impossible but they're so strong they're just ridiculously strong so what's difficult for us is probably nothing for them so it may not be lazy maybe that kind of thing is lazy for them you know for we're looking at say that's not lazy but for them they say well that's not hard that's for sure you know, I mean, when they're when they're just walking straight up a hill, you know, they're taking a twelve foot jump up a, a, a straight up and down ledge. You know, that that's nothing for them, but for us, it's impossible. But how do you gain, how do you trail camera trap that? Good luck. Exactly, exactly. And it, it's hard enough to find where they walk more than once. You know, like if we had a property where, oh yeah, they always come from this direction. Well, we we know property owners that have Sasquatches on it, and they don't seem to always come from any one direction. They might be on that side of the property, but how many different ways are there to uh, approach from that side of the property? I don't know. We just know so little about it. Once we start start getting more data and people start recording stuff and sharing it and stuff with other researchers, maybe we can figure some of these mysteries out. Yeah, maybe not. We'll see. Time will tell. I hope that answered, by the way, Kate. I hope that, that satisfied you to some degree. But I don't know. Um, take a look at your relationship pretty closely. I'm sure your boyfriend's a lovely man. Um, clearly, he has excellent taste in women. Um, he does choose you, after all. Um, but yeah, school this guy. Sasquatches are real. And uh, the evidence points to them. Just because, oh, the game cameras. Oh, there's no game camera pictures. Well, there are game camera pictures, but he just not, isn't aware of them. Um, and there are some pretty okay ones that are out there in the public. There's the Ripplebrook picture. There's the one from Vermont you know, be heartened. Um, and then, you know, school, school, your boyfriend, I suppose you can keep him around. I wouldn't. Well, yeah, Bobo wouldn't keep your boyfriend around, but you know, he's probably a good guy. He clearly has good taste in women, as I said. So yeah, she just has bad taste in men. Maybe I've talked about this on the show before, but the most aggravating game cam one for me was, uh, cause I know a few people that saw it, saw them was this guy had an illegal pot farm up in the hills above Humboldt. And at, I think it was 3.40 in the morning, like on a Monday night or Tuesday night in the summer, he has several cameras mounted, but this one's at his gate. Uh, that's right on the, the main gate. It's right on the, the dirt road that other the Forest Service or other people are on. It's a side road, so it's not heavily traveled or anything. But there's uh, the first picture. They measured it out. It's about just about seven, six, seven, eight. But super big. It looked like Cliff Murphy in the in his uh, museum, the the statue thing. What do you call that? Cliff, not a statue. Well, it's it's, it's uh, I guess it's a statue. The sculpt, the fantastic. We just call it Murphy. Yeah, Murphy is a life size Sasquatch replica that we have in the North American Big Life size replica. Yeah. Okay. So the, it looked like Murphy, and it's walking, and the flash goes off, and it went off every second or one and a half seconds, I guess whatever it was. And then the next second picture is it's turning its head, looking 
at the camera and you see the eyes just shine flash bright. Then the third picture, it's kind of more getting to the backside of it. And it's facing forward again. Like it saw the flash, the first one looked over, was looking at the second flash, then turned and was looking straight ahead again as it's passing the camera, going away from it. And it's walking right in front of his neighbor's gate and passes, you know, a barbed wire fence. So you could measure exactly how tall it was. Then uh, 15 minutes later, 20 minutes later, it came walking back up the direction it came from. First picture, it's not looking at the camera. Second picture, you know, it's full stride, looking at the camera, you know, the eyes shining real bright. Then the third picture, it's, it's just looking backwards, going, walking again. So there were six in total. And this worker uh, thought the he owed the worker, God, I think it was like $26,000, $27,000. And the guy thought that the the game car, the game cam photos were worth more. He thought they were worth like a million dollars. So he stole the card and left. He just left, didn't get paid or anything. Went down to L.A., um, figured out he couldn't sell the, the pictures because he stole it. And he and then they were trying to talk to him. And I, I was saying like, "Hey man, I'll, I'll pitch in to get it back." You know, like, "Let's, we gotta get these, we gotta get these back." And I said, "Let me talk to him." And the guy was so scared that they were setting him up that he thought they were just gonna kill him. You know, like they were trying to say, "Oh, it's okay, just we just want the pictures back." And he thought it was all set up. So he, I, they've never surfaced. I've never heard anything more about it. And that's been five years now. Well, there is stuff out there is the point, you know, and just because uh, um, Casey's boyfriend is unaware of it doesn't mean that stuff doesn't exist. And a lot of people don't want this stuff out there because they don't want to be chastised or made fun of. And, you know, a lot of these people who live out in these rural areas, sometimes the most valuable thing they have is their reputation in the community, you know, and they don't want to give that up. And who can blame them, you know? Especially when the, the whole subject is seen in such a ridiculous light um, by the general populace. Okay, Casey, I hope that answered your question, and I hope that we didn't damage your relationship with your boyfriend too much. He already damaged it. We're just clarifying. Yeah, Bobo's kind of like the you know the relationship counselor in a lot of ways. So if, if you have any um, questions that you know you don't you don't know how to proceed forward in your relationship with your significant other, you can always leave a voicemail for Bobo in that too. Bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com. Hit the contact button and uh, leave a voicemail thing for Bobo, and he'll fix your relationship right up. Finances, any questions about religion politics yeah anything you want to know from bobo actually is a pretty or, or us in general but i think bobo's answers might be better than mine in some ways medical psychological all of it i got it all we got one more we got one more let's let's hear it let's listen to the last voicemail before we go to the written ones yes this is danny murphy long time listener first time caller from northeast iowa i've got a uh, question for you guys okay you got Two episodes of Finding Bigfoot are going to be rebooted or renewed, only two episodes. First episode, they're allowing you to take any scientist, any two scientists, I should say, from any time period with you on a Bigfoot expedition hunt. Who would you take and why? And also on the second episode, they're allowing you to take a musician or a musical group from any time period to go with you on a expedition of finding Bigfoot and a Bigfoot hunt, who would you take and why? The first one is scientists. It's hard to say. I mean, you'd want someone, I mean, do we have unlimited budget? Well, I think that'd be the rule. Yeah. Cause he also said any time period too. Right. So I guess I mean, you want to say Krantz, but I don't, I don't really know how great Krantz was in the field. I mean, cause this is a field question. 
I mean, uh, John Myanchinsky would be awesome, and he's modern. If you're in North America, for, for a North America trip, no one knows it better than him. Gosh, I guess it would have to be someone that's, who I, I can't think of off the top of my head. If it's if it's any time period, then I'm going to choose the future. Um, I think we we I would want to take the person who perhaps uh, was the first person to do a Jane Goodall like study with Sasquatches because they would have information that'd be very very useful to me out in the field. So I I don't know that person's name because he or she does not exist yet, but I think that would be a fantastic scientist to take out on a Finding Bigfoot episode. Is the one who finally gets to Jane Goodall the Sasquatches. Um, and of course, people, why don't you take Jane Goodall? Well, she's kind of busy, you know, it doesn't matter any time period. I choose the future and I choose the scientists that actually got to finally habituate them to some degree so they can tell us what we need to be doing different, man. That's like wishing for more wishes. <laughs> it is wishing for more wishes. And I get that. And it's, you're absolutely right about that, but it, he's the one that laid rules down. God, I'm trying to think, yeah, you want someone that's. You know, young and mobile and hardy and, you know, a real solid field person that's used to extreme uncomfortable situations. Yeah, I'd like to, whoever this person is, I'd like to meet them. <laughs> whoever it is I'd like to take out, I'd like to meet them. Yeah. And then uh, for for musicians, anyone in any period, I guess I'd have to go with Mozart. Oh, Mozart, huh? Just because he's such a trip and such, like, you know, the all-time genius of music, it'd be... Interesting to hang out with that guy. Yeah, that would be interesting. You would think like Beethoven would be up there too, but he was deaf, so he'd be no good out in the field in that sort of way. That's why I didn't say him. <laughs> did, did you hear that? He goes, no. <laughs> Nine. <laughs> so, <laughs> Who would it be for you, Cliff? Uh, any time period, any musician. Um, you know what? I think Hendrix would get a kick out of Bigfooting. I think he would be really open to it. Yeah, so I, maybe maybe Hendrix. That would be a lot. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, of course. Um, or I might have to eh, Jerry Garcia. I, I do like the fact that Jerry Garcia, well, Robert Hunter really uh, put Bigfoot into a Grateful Dead song. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but there is a, a Bigfoot reference, um, a tumble down shack in Bigfoot County, as the line goes in a Grateful Dead song. So I think that uh, as a reward, we'll just resurrect Jerry Garcia from the dead and take him out with me. And re- it'd be a reward for me as well. I haven't seen Jerry since before he died. Obviously, <laughs> I hope so. Are you worried? Are you worried about if you've been seeing him since? Uh, exactly. Every night, every night he comes at the foot of my bed and sings uh, "Lay My Head Down." So there you go. I, I, I hope that I hope that uh, that that works. So, so now we got some written questions. We got Ron Cook. I know the BFRO has a database on sightings, but is there a database for footprints and casts? I know there are researchers that have large collections of footprints, but that data is not easily accessible to others. Thanks. I'm a big fan. Well, yeah. Yeah, I've got one on my on my website. I, it's, it's not my entire collection by any means. It's probably 15% of it or something like that. But I, I don't know how many casts I have on that data set or database, but there is one on cliffberrickman.com. Go to cliffberrickman.com, and I think it's under projects or something. I don't even know. I don't even look at my own website. It's been a while since I looked at it. I'll pull it up right now, and we can take a look. Yeah, cliffberrickman.com under re nope under projects. Uh, it says footprint database right there. And so I've, I've, there's a little explanatory page. And uh, once you actually get into the database itself, um, let, let's see how many casts there are in here. Um, I've, got, I've got some pretty good ones. Yeah, you got a good one. Uh, you can look in the show notes down below where that survey we want you to fill out. There'll also be a link to the database and Cliff's uh, website. 
6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 22, 23, 24, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 30. Oh, God. There's got to be 50 or something on here. So it's it's certainly not nowhere close to my collection or whatever. And a lot of them are photographs of footprints in the ground as well, not actually cast. But there's got to be at least 50 of them on here. I haven't updated in a few years. The most recent one I have up here is in 2018. Um, so anyway, yeah. So the, the com. Go there and you can read about it. And, you know, I've got a bunch of other articles and stuff that I kind of feel are, you know, useful to people in various ways. Um, I don't pay a lot of attention to my website, but um, but there, I, I think I, I'd like to think there's some valuable things on there that are interesting. And certainly the cast database would be right up your alley. So, okay, let's see. The next question is from Alan Mayer. What is the most urban area that either of you have heard of a legitimate Bigfoot sighting? Oh, that's pretty good. I mean, there's been a few. Yeah, I mean, uh, even on Finding Bigfoot, we investigated muddy footprints running across the street in a new housing development. That was right on the edge of the forest. That was, that was, to be fair. Wasn't there a bunch of stuff outside of Detroit that they were looking, they, they wanted to do some sort of like suburban or urban Bigfoot thing in Detroit? Because they weren't they having sightings on the outside? Yeah, those abandoned, those, some of those abandoned areas, houses getting overgrown, they were seen in there. Like, um, I've I've heard that, and I heard some guy on another podcast talking about. I, I didn't know him personally, so I don't you know I don't know the veracity of it all. But uh, I know Tyler Bounds documented some ones up in Washington where they came in through green belts and like creeks and went into like subdivisions pretty far, like to get to like a I think it was a golf course and a cemetery next door. It was something like that. There was a golf course in the center, but you had to go through these like a quarter mile of housing projects through like these narrow like thirty to fifty foot wide green belts running along the creeks but it was through yards and houses and they were traveling through there and he said yeah they, they were really doing it and they're so they're going in like a quarter mile in under the cover of darkness you know grabbing a deer or a bunch of rabbits whatever and then heading back out yeah i don't think they have a problem with that at all i mean they only own your property during the day right um well there's that the roseburg footage is kind of in the middle of it all too i mean that was literally two blocks south of the costco in roseburg um, and it was in between highway 99 and, Hi- and highway five. So that, that was pretty far in. Um, of course it, it is a bit, it's, it's a green belt, it's logging land, et cetera. Uh, but I think that's a good example of that. These things getting into an unexpected place in the middle of a, an urban environment. It's Roseburg. So it's not the most urban of environments. Don't get me wrong. It is Oregon and it's a fairly small town. It's a big town for Oregon, but in general, it's a fairly small town. Yeah, there was a, when I went to one, I think it was just me going solo investigation. It was I think it was Connecticut. We were in Connecticut, but we might have crossed over a state line. But it was a a neighborhood. It was two. I mean, like regular residential, like maybe seventy five foot wide by one hundred fifty foot lots. You know, just all stacked on top of each other. And it was two full blocks in. It was coming in and raiding this lady's fruit garden. She had a bunch of fruit trees in the backyard, and it was raiding them. And then people had seen them. Uh, in the creek and that ran through the middle of the town, it was like cement walls, you know, like it was channeled through the, so it didn't flood the town through that section. And they said that they were uh, getting them in that creek at night. They'd go through there and, um, but they were like, they, they were, they, they were fully exposed. I mean, several people saw them. Like, I guess they were pretty desperate for food. It was an off year. So that was, I was pretty blown away on that one. What about that stuff that was it up in Rancho Cucamonga or somewhere like that, Bob? So pushed up against the mountains in Southern California, and they were coming down and going into like suburbia, 
like suburban like track houses and stuff. That was that's another example of this, isn't it? Yeah, did you meet that? I don't, I don't know if you met that guy with, with me. I don't think he did. He was uh, he was an animator for The Simpsons, and he had a place in Rancho Cucamonga that backed up. He was he was the last uh, block going up into the hills, but he had him there in his property. Well, I don't know. I, I guess there's some examples for you, that, Alan. I hope that helped a little bit. Yeah, the, the, uh, I don't think they really care so much about urban or not urban and stuff. I mean, they they need they like the green belts. Obviously, they feel safest there, but I don't think they have any problems after dark sneaking into a neighborhood or something like that and digging through trash cans or stealing a couple cats or something. I don't think they care about that at all. I think they'd totally be up for it. So, Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Jack Smith writes, what are your thoughts about baiting an area with food to draw a Bigfoot in during an extended observation period? This is done in the hunting of various game animals. Yeah, I mean, I'd do it. I mean, I, you're not supposed to. Of course, you're feeding other wildlife. You might be training bears to come in and they get shot because they're a problem. Or I mean, it's, There's some ethics involved to it, but it's for sure. I mean, it's it's probably the best thing to it's probably the best bait you can do for these things, you know, or for any, for any animal, mostly. Have you ever had any food taken though, Bobes? I never have. To my knowledge, I never have. Uh, one time I had a can of pork and beans stolen off the top of my truck, which I didn't leave out as a gift. It just disappeared. Then it sounded like we, it sounded like we heard them. It sounded like uh, they were taking a rock and bashed it open down the hillside. So it sounded like, um, taking food, not that I know of for sure, no. Yeah, because I, I mean, even at the water spot, remember we were leaving things out and like opening cans of tuna. It's like they never touched any of it because I think they saw us dealing with it and they, I don't think they trusted us. Um, I, I've heard of other people being successful, but I never have been. Putting it out where they like they have to expose themselves seems to never work. If, if they're going to take it, you have to kind of it has to be like, kind of like a hands free gift, you know, like where they can approach it without being seen. Yeah, yeah. I wish, I wish it worked more more steadily, you know? I've always heard meats and sweets, meats and sweets, and I hear people say, oh, it ate my corn, it ate the pie, it, it ate this, it ate that, it, apples are gone, And but I've, I've never had such an exper- experience. Um, my experience is that like whatever food I leave out is still there <laughs> when, I, when I leave. It's kind of a bum out, but you'd think that, because a bear, you'd think, oh, yeah, just leave the food out, a bear is going to get it, and that's probably true. Raccoons and all these other wildlife are much more predictable than Sasquatches are. So either Sasquatches are so adept at getting food, they just don't need our food, or they see us handling it, and they don't want anything to do with us because we're untrustworthy. Who could blame them? I get that. Or, I don't know, but what, what would be, I guess the question is, what would be irresistible to a Sasquatch? I mean, could it only be a Zagnut bar, like Mike Green's footage, or are there other options on the table? Dude, this one uh, lady was putting out. She was telling me she for sure had a Bigfoot, absolutely positive, and she was she had a um, some structures in her backyard, or whatever. And there was like a fence coming, uh, a really nice cedar fence coming off. And at this point, it was ten feet off the ground, and it had a uh, two by six rail t- uh, topping on it. Um, and she would put the food up there. She she'd. Uh, she had a little ladder. She'd get on the ladder and go up there and put the food up there and then put the ladder away. And I was sitting there thurming from kind of far away, like further away than the house even was. And sure enough, I watched this fox come running up and just jump and bounce and like kind of like scale the side of the fence a little bit. It, like just lie. Anyways, it ended up on top of this like 10 foot tall fence. 
and ate all the food and then took off. I didn't believe a fox could jump that high. Well, foxes are kind of like, you know, dog cats in a lot of ways. They're, they're very feline sort of canines. Um, so I wouldn't be a bit surprised that they can climb those sort of things. And, you know, I, 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 uh, on my property, I, I've hung like turkey leftovers, like from after Thanksgiving up in trees and stuff, um, and put cameras on it. And eventually a bear came and got it. But um, at the same time, um, I, I've seen those coyotes try to get up in there. They, they try real hard to climb those trees and stuff. That's kind of neat. But, you know, I've, I've never been successful with a Sasquatch, or at least to my knowledge, I have not. <clears throat> Tom Shea, though, has. Tom Shea uh, uses peanut butter on a regular basis and gets them occasionally. Uh, he actually opens the peanut butter jar, jar just slightly, rubs a little bit on the outside, then tapes it to a tree. Um, so it'd be very difficult to pull off and whatever. And then puts the lid back on, of course, and the safety seal and all that stuff. That's actually the, what led to the, the to the Nutella cast as well. Um, Tom Shea and his partner, Steve Cornell, they were going to use peanut butter, but they were out. They happened to have some old Nutella and they used that instead. And they got the, the famous Nutella cast, um, which is the only known um, finger impressions into a jar of this sort. You know, Because lots of Bigfooters say, oh, they're going after my peanut butter and stuff, but they don't have anything to show for it. Um, Tom Shea is not that kind of guy. He comes back with more than stories. Um, so he actually put plaster into the Nutella jar after the Sasquatch, uh, presumably a Sasquatch, um, scooped out Nutella with its fingers. You know, so we have finger impressions from a Sasquatch in a Nutella jar. And I always argue that it has to be a Sasquatch because any human would have eaten all the Nutella. It's delicious. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that, that's my experience with baiting, which isn't a lot, I, I admit, but it's something. Let's see what's who's next here. We got Rob Collins. I love you guys. Thank you, Rob. We love you too. Yeah, we, we, we love you. We talk about it all the time. We just love Rob Collins. Yeah. Great show. Where would you think the Bigfoot world would be without the PG footage? What if it was never recorded? Would it make a difference? I, th- I think it would. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it'd make a big difference that if it wasn't there because people, everyone quotes it, everyone points to it. It's the go to. It's the, it's, uh, it's the type specimen until we actually have a body. I mean, it's, it's, it's compelled a lot of people, it compelled me to get into it. Yeah, and can you imagine, like, what what would a Bigfoot sticker look like if, um, you know, the the PG film was never filmed? Because it's the three fifty, it's three fifty two pose. It's the, it's the Sasquatch with this outstretched. All Bigfoots are depicted like that. Um, it would be an entirely different world if the PG film was not was not uh, obtained. In my opinion, I don't even think there there'd be that much interest in Bigfoots otherwise. Um, in general, across uh, yeah, the, you still have these um, these you know schlockumentaries on TV talking about sightings and people seeing these things, but there would be almost nothing to show for it, almost nothing. That we'd, we'd have footprints, and that's kind of a, and, and a bunch of lousy pictures that aren't very good. You know, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, the the PG film is is huge, huge. You know, it's kind of neat when you meet Bob Gimlin or something where you say, yeah, this this man was part of something that literally changed culture forever. Um, because that's how important P- the PG film is. What even to skeptics, even to skeptics, the PG film is that important. It literally changed the culture in which we live forever. You know, anything that changes the culture for the better, at least, is is a good thing. You know, that's it's that's fantastic. But would we be looking into Bigfoots today? I I don't know. I don't know. We still have sighting reports. I would like to think I would, but you just never know. You just never know because you don't know how one's life path would have changed the footprints are still there there are still witnesses you know thousands and thousands and thousands of them and and some mediocre pictures i guess but yeah i, I think the pg film changed everything for all of us so yeah 
55 years old. It's hard to believe we haven't had something this good in 55 years. I know, man. I know. And, and whatever is that good out there isn't being shared, which is unfortunate. Because I, I keep hearing rumors of, the oh, it's better than the PG film and all this other stuff. And Oh, God. I've seen a couple of those better than the PG films. It's like, what the hell are you on? Like, you think that is better than the PG film? You're out of your freaking mind. It's, uh, you, have, you have to put a red circle around it. Yeah, exactly. No red circle necessary for the PG film. No. I've heard that too. Oh, this is just as good as the Patterson Gimlin film. You can see the fingernails and this and that. And and it's like, and I look and I go, dude, I don't even see the Bigfoot, let alone the fingernails. You know, but people want people see what they want to see, I guess, you know. Fingernails are you know it's funny, that's that's uh the two most common things I think people point out, like when these blob squatches are fingernails and teeth. Teeth. Yeah, well t- t- dapples of light on a leaf. Yeah. yeah. That's that's what how I think probably a lot of these teeth are. But some might be, I mean, I think, I, I think some of them, the people like, okay, like, yeah, I, I can see like that it could be, and maybe you did, you might have a real Bigfoot there, but there's no way to, for us to tell. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and I'm usually hearing from the uh, photographer itself or him, him or herself saying, saying like, yeah, I saw this and I took a picture of it and I walked away. Okay. Then yeah, maybe there's something there, but what, what do you think about these? Uh, I was just taking pictures and I didn't see this till I got home. It's like, those always just immediate turn off. Yeah, I mean, I, I have seen it. I did see a few that looked pretty interesting, but for the most part, when they they go home and look, I mean, that's the that's just paradoia like one hundred and one. Yeah, exactly. Because you're looking for the seek and ye shall find, even if it's not there. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but that's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. Well, Bobo, that was the last question for the November Q and A. Yeah, we'll have some more questions coming up though for our Patreon members. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's stick on, let's stick around and do that. And for people who don't know what we're talking about, if you're new to the podcast or something, uh, we have a member section where you get extra content from us every single week. I think it's averaging about 45 minutes a week at this point. I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah, we do a special Q&A just for our podcast members. Um, if you want to be a podcast member, go to bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com and click the membership button and I'll tell you all about it. I think it's like five bucks a month or something, and you get an extra 45 minutes or more of content every single week and other goodies and whatever else is too. Yeah, it's the price of a gallon of gas. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's less than a beer and a tip, and our buzz lasts all month. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you want to become a member and support us that way, it'd be great. Again, go to bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com, click the membership link. It'll tell you all you need to know. Um, and I guess as far as anything else goes, we do have t-shirts and hoodies and all that sort of stuff. You can go to sasquatchprints.com and follow the links there. If you want to, um, wear, you know, my face or Bobo's face on you because you can't get enough. And, <laughs> you know, if, if you're, the, if you're that kind of weirdo, we have shirts with our faces on it. Feel free to wear one. Bobo, you ever wear a shirt with your own face on it? I, yeah, I got a few of them, but I'm super embarrassed when I do. Like, I, I only wear them from around the house or if I'm hiking out somewhere, where I'm not going to see anybody, or if I'm wearing a jacket or something. It's, it's too, uh, too weird to wear your own. It is kind of weird. Like, and I, I've never worn a t shirt with just my face on it, but how weird would that be? Like, this, like, if I showed up one day and I'm wearing a shirt with just my face on it. Oh, remember that one, that, one, that picture of me from Conan when I was like 300 pounds, there's that, it's just a blow up in my head. that was on that shirt for a while. Oh yeah. We have, we have a sticker of, of that, um, on our, um, on our signing door at the museum. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I got a message from you, Cliff. That was pretty funny. 
there was a kid in your museum. There's that mask your wife Melissa made. She does horror effects and she oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, 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 we can we can say that before we sign off here. Yeah, there was a kid in there, like a three year old yesterday, and we have pro- we have problems with two and three year olds at the museum because Murphy, our life size Sasquatch replica in back, is very realistic, and we also have this thing where if you step on a pad, it makes really loud noises, and so we we generally get a runner like once or twice a week. Like this little kid just runs and bolts out the door or something. Well, yesterday we had a, a little girl in the shop, and she was terrified of Murphy and I felt bad and but mom and dad wanted to see the museum so they would take turns holding her in the gift shop and then the other mom or dad whoever was not holding the little girl would go in the back in the exhibit hall and uh, wander around and they would you know tag team like that well in our gift shop um, see my wife Melissa the lovely talented Melissa Berkman is um, she's a sculptress she's a special effects stuff and she basically made a sculpt of Bobo of, of Bobo's head and we use it in the museum as like a hat display thing. We put a gone squatch and hat on it, um, and then it's facing the door. But she, this little girl, was equally terrified of Bobo, of Bobo's <laughs> face. Uh, you know, a head on a spike. It's like Vlad the Impaler or something. I totally get it because you come in the museum and there's Bobo's head on a spike. It's like we're trying to keep you away or something or warn our enemies. It looks straight out of a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also a fat Bobo. Like you're not fat anymore. Like, but that, that was a fat Bobo sculpt. Um, but cause it was easier to sculpt says Melissa. But, um, anyway, yeah. So she was absolutely terrified of that and would not go any, she wouldn't even, she stayed in the corner of the, um, gift shop with her mom or dad, um, by the bathroom and wouldn't even go to the, the toy section, which is on the other side of Bobo's dismembered head. Um, because your head was there and she was crying and shrieking, shrieking. She's, she's not going to go to that side of the building because your head was there. That makes me feel so good. <laughs> just imagine just imagine how many kids are traumatized coming to your like you know in 10 20 30 years people you're gonna hear people go like i my childhood was ruined due to that museum <laughs> i had nightmares for years and i couldn't go in the woods it's the least we can do at least we can yeah. do for the next, next generation i feel like we're performing a service there yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right bobs there you go take us home man yep Right on, folks. Thanks again. We appreciate those five-star reviews we're getting. And if you uh, put in some comments saying you like the show, if you like it, because it helps other people find the show, it helps us grow it. So we appreciate that. And until next week, y'all keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 